Welcome back to Rajcast for episode 46. I'm Nachi Gupta. And I'm Mega Rajpal, and we're back with some more high-yield emergency medicine board review. Let's kick off this episode with a rapid review of molluscum contagiosum. A must-know clinical rash for your practice. Do you know the cause of molluscum contagiosum? Molluscum contagiosum is caused by pox virus. It is seen in children, sexually active adults, and immunocompromised patients like those with HIV. And how is it transmitted? Transmission is by direct skin-to-skin contact. And do you remember what you see on exam? On exam for molluscum contagiosum, you see painless, pearly, umbilicated papules. Children present with lesions on the face, trunk, extremities, while sexually active adults present with lesions on the genital region, lower abdomen, and thighs. It tends to spare the palms and soles. Most patients require no therapy as spontaneous resolution occurs in months, but those with extensive lesions may benefit from cryotherapy. And at approximately what CD4 count do HIV patients become at higher risk? HIV patients with CD4 less than 100 are at greater risk for developing molluscum contagiosum. Great review. Let's move on to some new questions. You're up for the first one. Which of the following is one of the most commonly implicated organisms in the development of a lung abscess? Is it A. Klebsiella pneumonia, B. Peptostreptococcus, C. Staph aureus, or D. Strepneumo? Lung abscesses are often polymicrobial, with anaerobic bacteria being the predominant organisms. The most common anaerobic organisms include Prevotella, Bacteriodes, Fusobacterium, and answer choice B, Peptostreptococcus. That's right, and most abscesses develop as a complication of aspiration pneumonia. Patients at risk of aspiration include those with altered mental status, alcoholism, drug abuse, head trauma, and dysphagia. Periodontal disease is also commonly seen in these patients and is a source of high concentrations of anaerobic bacteria. Patients with lung abscesses present with fever, productive cough, night sweats, weight loss, and hemoptysis, and it evolves over weeks to months. Treatment is with empiric antibiotics including ampicillin sylbactam and carbapenems. Let's go over the other answer choices. Choice A, Klebsiella pneumonia. That's a common cause of empyema and is seen in patients with decreased host defenses like patients with diabetes, alcoholism, malignancy, and chronic steroid use. Choice C, Staph aureus, that's a common cause of post-influenza pneumonia. And choice D, Strep pneumo, that's the most common cause of a community-acquired pneumonia. While associated pleural effusions are common in Strep pneumo, pneumococcal pneumonia is less likely to be complicated by development of lung abscesses. On chest radiograph, a lung abscess presents as a consolidation with an air fluid level inside a cavitary lesion in the basal segment of the lower lobes or the posterior segment of the upper lobes. As you finish seeing this lung abscess patient, your nurse calls you in for a trauma. It's a 26-year-old man who is hit in the head by a baseball. The patient is initially alert and talking to you, but then becomes progressively more somnolent. Which of the following would you expect to see on a non-contrast CT head? Is it A, a collection of blood layering in the basilar cisterns, B, a crescent-shaped frontal hematoma crossing suture lines, C, a lenticular-shaped hematoma in the temporal region, or D, an intraparenchymal hemorrhage within the frontal lobe? This patient's presentation and exam are consistent with a traumatic acute epidural hematoma and a non-contrast CT head which shows C, a hyperdense lenticular-shaped hematoma in the temporal region that is sharply defined and does not cross suture lines. Epidural hematomas are associated with skull fractures and injury to the temporal bone, 
resulting in a laceration of the middle meningeal artery. Arterial bleeding is the etiology of two-thirds of epidural hematomas. And the classic finding, which our patient exhibits, is the lucid interval just prior to rapid deterioration. It's a great board exam clinical scenario, but that interval of lucidity is actually present in less than 30% of epidural bleeds. Call neurosurgery immediately for this patient for surgical evacuation of the hematoma. Let's go over the other answer choices. Choice A, a collection of blood layering in the basilar cisterns, that is the classic presentation of a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Choice B, a crescent-shaped frontal hematoma crossing suture lines, is the classic appearance of a subdural hematoma. And choice D, intraparenchymal hemorrhage within the frontal lobe, is the appearance of a traumatic contusion or hypertensive hemorrhage. Remember that choice B, subdural hematomas, are caused by tears in the bridging veins. Alcoholics and the elderly are more prone to these. As you get off the phone with neurosurgery, EMS rolls in a 55-year-old man with anaphylaxis. EMS notes he was having a home-cooked Thai meal at a friend's house about one hour ago, and within seconds of the first bite of his meal, he developed nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, and a rash. You start with your usual cocktail, including epinephrine, Benadryl, dexamethasone, and fluids, and after the second dose of epinephrine, his blood pressure remains 75 over 38. The patient's only other medical history is hypertension, for which he's on several different antihypertensives. Which other medication should be considered in this patient? Is it A, cimetidine, B, glucagon, C, norepinephrine, or D, octreotide? This patient is experiencing an acute anaphylactic reaction, possibly to peanuts found in the Thai cooking. Patients taking beta blockers for hypertension may exhibit persistent hypotension despite epinephrine, as epinephrine binds to beta receptors that may already be under beta blockade. To circumvent the beta blockade, choice B, glucagon, should be administered. Give some glucagon and see if your patient's symptoms improve. Some side effects of glucagon include nausea, vomiting, hypokalemia, dizziness, hyperglycemia, hypertension, and tachycardia, so keep that in mind too. Let's go over the other answer choices here as well. Choice A, cimetidine, that's an antihistamine that might help in a mild allergic reaction, but it doesn't treat hypotension and severe anaphylaxis. Incidentally, it also prolongs metabolism of beta blockers. Answer choice C, norepinephrine, that also binds beta receptors and wouldn't work in the setting of a beta blockade. And choice D, octreotide, that's used in variceal bleeding, carcinoid syndrome, and refractory hypoglycemia after sulfonylurea-induced hypoglycemia. It plays no role in this scenario. As you stabilize this patient, the nurse presents a 36-year-old man with a seizure. You begin reviewing a folder full of medical records dating back 15 years from other cities and states, when he has a sudden onset of a seizure in front of you. Immediately after, he returns to his baseline and tells you that since it's Friday night and his PCP, neurologist, and psychiatrist are all out of town, he would like to be admitted to the hospital for the weekend. You draw a serum lactate and it's normal. Which of the following diagnoses would be strongly considered in this patient? Is it A, conversion disorder, B, hypochondriasis, C, Munchausen syndrome, or D, somatization? This patient likely has C, Munchausen syndrome, which is a psychiatric fictitious disorder in which the individual feigns disease in an attempt to gain attention, sympathy, or reassurance. There is often a long-standing history of doctor and hospital shopping, frequent hospitalizations, and extensive medical records. They're generally well-spoken, intelligent, and able to communicate in medical jargon. These patients, like our patient, often present on the weekend and after regular office hours in an attempt to limit access to medical records and personal physicians. 
They often want to be admitted to the hospital, and once admitted, they're difficult to discharge. The normal serum lactate and lack of a post-ictal state essentially rule out true seizure activity and support the fact that this patient is faking a seizure episode. And interestingly, Munchausen syndrome is more common in males than females. Let's go over the other answer choices here also. Choice A, conversion disorder, that's characterized by a single unexplained symptom like blindness, paralysis, or mutism, and it's often triggered by a psychological stressor. Choice B, hypochondriasis, that's a preoccupation or fear of having a medical condition. And choice D, somatization disorder, that's diagnosed when there are unexplained physical symptoms like pain, GI symptoms, and sexual or neurologic symptoms that manifest before the age of 30, and they lead to significant social or occupational impairment. As you're on the phone with psychiatry for your patient, a frazzled mother bolts into the ED with her four-year-old child after she found him in the backyard shed choking and gagging. Mom notes that prior to this episode, he was healthy and doing well. His temperature is 101, heart rate 95, blood pressure of 100 over 60, and respiratory rate of 40. On exam, he appears sleepy but continues to cough. Pulmonary findings include moderate retractions and diffuse wheezes. A chest x-ray shows patchy infiltrates. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, foreign body aspiration, B, hydrocarbon ingestion, C, organophosphate ingestion, or D, status asthmaticus? Let's use the process of elimination to answer this one. Answer choice A, foreign body aspiration, that's probably not right because in that case, you would either see a radiopaque foreign body or you'd see a normal chest x-ray, but you definitely wouldn't see patchy infiltrates. Let's also eliminate choice C, organophosphate ingestion. Although it causes bronchospasms, it causes other symptoms like diarrhea, urination, meiosis, emesis, lacrimation, and salivation, none of which this four-year-old is presenting with. Choice D, status asthmaticus, that's also probably incorrect. An x-ray here might show hyperinflation of the lungs, but again, definitely not patchy infiltrates. So the answer here must be choice B, hydrocarbon ingestion. Mega, can you tell us more about hydrocarbon ingestion since we don't really see them that often clinically? Yes. First off, great use of process of elimination. Hydrocarbons like lamp oil, gasoline, lighter fluid, turpentine, benzene, and kerosene can be aspirated easily when ingested and can cause pneumonitis with volumes as low as 1 cc. Chest x-ray typically shows diffuse bilateral infiltrates, and airway support is important in these patients because symptoms can evolve into respiratory failure. Let's get to the final question of this episode. A 12-year-old boy presents to the ED after his brother bumped in his elbow while he was using a cotton-tipped swab to clean out his ears. Ouch. He denies dizziness, vertigo, nausea, or hearing loss. On exam, you note a tear of the tympanic membrane and a small amount of blood in the external canal. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? Is it A, begin antibiotics, B, discharge with instructions to keep the ear canal dry, C, emergent consultation to ENT, or D, pack the ear with gauze? The 12-year-old boy in this question has a perforated TM, which can result from penetrating trauma, loud noise, infection, or rapid change in pressure. Most perforations heal spontaneously, and since our patient is asymptomatic, the answer here is choice B. He can be discharged home with instructions to keep the ear dry. And if the patient has hearing loss, nausea, vomiting, vertigo, or a facial palsy, that might suggest the presence of a concurrent injury to the inner ear structures. In that case, go for choice C, an emergent ENT consultation. Choice A, antibiotics, are not recommended in patients with ruptured tympanic membranes unless caused by an infection, which is not the case in our patient. 
And choice D, packing the ear with gauze is not recommended, though some people find it can help keep the ear canal dry. And a little fun trivia here, a common otologic sequela of lightning injuries is a perforated tympanic membrane. All right, let's close out this episode with a rapid review. Anaerobes like Prevotella, Bacteroides, Fusobacterium, and Peptostreptococcus are the most common organisms found in a lung abscess. On chest radiograph, lung abscesses present as a consolidation with an air fluid level inside a cavitary lesion. An epidural hematoma presents as a hyperdense lenticular-shaped hematoma in the temporal region, and it is caused by a tear in the middle meningeal artery. A lucid interval is typically associated with this bleed. Patients taking beta blockers for hypertension may exhibit persistent hypotension in the setting of anaphylactic shock. They should be treated with glucagon to free up the beta receptor and potentiate the circulating epinephrine to restore vasomotor tone. In Munchausen syndrome, the individual feigns disease in an attempt to gain attention, sympathy, or reassurance. Somatization disorder is characterized by unexplained physical symptoms that lead to significant social and occupational impairment. Conversion disorder is characterized by an unexplained neurologic symptom triggered by a psychological stressor. Hydrocarbon ingestion can cause pneumonitis, and the chest X-ray can show diffuse bilateral infiltrates. Patients with asymptomatic ruptured tympanic membranes can be discharged home with instructions to keep the canal dry. Symptomatic patients require emergent ENT consultation. So that wraps up Roshcast episode 46. Be sure to also check out the blog for questions from this episode and prior episodes, related images and tables, as well as bonus teaching points. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Roshcast, and you can always email us at roshcast at roshreview.com with any feedback, corrections, or suggestions. You can also help us pick questions by identifying ones you would like us to review. Write Roshcast in the submit feedback box as you go through the question bank. Lastly, if you have a minute, make sure to rate us and leave comments on iTunes to help spread the word about Roshcast. We'll be back soon with more high-quality reviews.